I want to talk just a little bit about, before I dive into the second commandment, I want to look a little bit about some of the law and what people, some people that are not religious, have to say about the Ten Commandments. If you've studied much about the history of Israel, about the law of Israel and so on, you've probably seen where people say, you know, the Ten Commandments really weren't very different from the laws that other countries had nearby. And really all Moses did was to go up in the mountain and basically copy down what he knew was already in place in nearby countries and claim it as original material. I mean, that's, what would that be, religious plagiarism or, or claiming it as God's? I mean, that's, that's, that's big stuff. But the fact of the matter is there's some very big differences. I don't have slides for this material, but let me throw it at you because it may be material that will help you to understand and help you to be able to have a ready answer and help you maybe to settle a doubt in your mind about the Ten Commandments. Few things. First of all, the countries around Israel, they had laws, of course, they had countries, they had society and societal order. But the law that they had, for the most part, was given as decree from their kings. And for the most part, those decrees came as case law. So when a problem came up, a king would say, this is my answer. That then became the rule for other similar situations. And so that case law, which is not unlike what America has today in what we've added to the law, but it's not the original law because in America we have this Judeo-Christian ethic that's based on the Ten Commandments. The other thing that's different about the law is that the Ten Commandments don't, like the Bible says, they don't claim to be simply from a human. They're claiming to be from God. And they're not claiming, as you read through them, they're not, they're not attempting to be just responding to civil problems. They are dealing with deeper issues in addition to civil problems. It talks about you know, lying and immorality and things like that. Those are, those are societal civil problems, but it also deals with God relationship. And so it's very different. And the laws around Israel did not have commandments and laws about their relationship with God. So it's based on that concept that goodness comes from God. There's also blessings that come, different kinds of blessings that come. And for the teachers that are going to come in the next few weeks, I'm going to leave that section for somebody else to deal with. The blessings that come from following the commandments. Those are, it's a really rich study and it's worth digging into. But there were, the only blessings that came from following the laws in other countries was you didn't get thrown in jail or you didn't get your hand cut off. You didn't get killed or something like that. It was just you get to stay alive. As opposed to God's law saying, if you do these things, then I'll bless you in a variety of different ways. If the laws, I'm just about done here, but I wanted to lay this little foundation here. If a law, this is an important point, if a law comes from God, it's not changeable. You don't add to it unless God decides to speak again. But if a law comes from a king, the king can say, oh, oh and by the way, here's an amendment. It's, that's fine for amendments. That's fine for kings and countries to have amendments. But it's not fine for kings and countries to amend God's law. But yet that's exactly what some religions have done. Some religions believe that their chief leader has the authority to add to the word of God. 
We're going to dig into this a little bit big, a little bit later here. And that is a huge, huge problem. If I say I have the right to reach because I have a certain position, I am high enough in the religious pecking order, so to speak, that I have the right to change the word of God, then all bets are off. I'm going to dive in here. Rather, I've got some anecdotes to go with that, but I'm going to dive in. All right. Here is a picture, as you can see, of the Ten Commandments. It starts off with, I am the Lord thy God. Now, this doesn't have one, two, three, four, five written next to it, or Roman numerals, or whatever. And it starts with the heading of the chapter, I am the Lord thy God. So that's not the first commandment. If you look at that as a first commandment, how many are there on those two stones? Eleven. Let me get some cord here. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. So this is not intended to be a commandment. It's just the introduction. So the first commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. We're dealing with the second one here today. The next one is next week. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So there's an example. There's a, you know, a picture, if you will, of the commandments. But I'd like you to take a look at this Jewish picture here, if you will. The Jewish Ten Commandments. Now, we know the Jews read right to left, and they would actually read from up here, down here. Now, I'm no expert, but I know that it's not I in that way, it's the other way. But they're trying to do it a little bit in this, this thing here. Number one, I'm the Lord thy God. That's number one. Number two, count with me. Number three, four, five. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So they've got ten commandments. But the first commandment for the Jews is, I'm the Lord thy God. But in the other one we just saw, that was just like an introduction. Their second commandment, don't have any gods before me. The third commandment is the name of the Lord in vain. What happened to, what's missing? What's, yeah, graven images somehow got removed from the Jewish ten commandments. The Jewish Ten Commandments are different from the ones that you and I believe in. Let's keep looking here. Here's the Catholic Ten Commandments. I'm the Lord your God. And then they go on. Hello. I'm the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and so on. They elaborate like Exodus 20 does. Number two, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. What's missing? Graven images. In the Jewish Ten Commandments, in the Catholic Ten Commandments, there's no reference to graven images. What's the deal? Did we Protestants make a mistake? What's going on? So let's take a look at what the KJV has to say here, and obviously we're dealing with the second commandment, which is in red here. First commandment, thou shalt have no other gods before me. We got that. The second one, thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, and so on. The, now get this. The Jews and the Catholics have chopped out four, five, and six. Goodbye. Why? Under what authority? 
What's the justification? Then they go, then the Bible goes to, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, like I said, number three. Well, I'm confused. I thought Protestantism was built on Judaism. We have the same Old Testament. What's going on? I understand how Catholicism might be a little bit different. You know, they blended with paganism way back and so on. I, I don't get it. Um, I'm going to back up here and make another point and look with me as we do this. You can see that I've made some things bold. I mean, even in red, these are bold. You got that, right? We're going to count the bold things. These are, as I saw it, the commands, the thou shalt nots or you must do. These are the commands that are listed in Exodus 20 here. So help me count. I know it sounds juvenile, but help me count. I'm making a point here. One, two, three, four, five. My clicker's at school. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Huh? How do we get eleven commandments? Do we count them right? One, two, three, four, five, six. And then the next page, actually, I think I did count them wrong. Seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. It's not the Ten Commandments, it's the Thirteen Commandments. That's King James right there, folks. Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt, bear, shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And the first page with the ones we've been working on. Somehow, somewhere, took the, somebody took the authority to take these thirteen thou shalt nots and combine them into ten. Y'all look at me like, wait a second. It happened. Maybe because ten's easier to talk about. Now I know Decalogue. What's what's thirteenalogue? I don't. Unlucky number? I don't know. Somebody somewhere. Now let me show you one thing that's really easy to figure out here. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. Da 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 da. So somebody somewhere said, you know what? All these covets let's throw together in one commandment. Does that make sense? Sure, that makes sense. So that brings us down a little bit. And somebody said, you know, this graven image thing here makes me feel a little uncomfortable. Kind of steps on my toes a little too much. Kind of reminds me of my history a little too much. I think we're not going to deal with that part. It's in the Bible, but we're not going to deal with that part. Now, if you go to official Catholic websites, Catholics aren't fools. They're very learned people. They know the Bible, in many cases, far better than you and I do. These verses didn't slip past them. So you won't be able to open up to Exodus 20 and say, now, did you ever notice that graven image? It's, really? And that's not what happened. But there was a willful decision at one point to change things. Let me move along here. So, I mean, this, this makes the point a little more graphically here. The Jewish, I'm the Lord your God. 
Catholic, I'm Lord your God. Protestants dives into the whole gods right away. And then, no other gods, the name, graven images. Things getting shuffled around there. So if people you know, convert from Catholicism to Judaism to Protestantism, you're going to have to learn different Ten Commandments as you go. All out of the same Bible. Ten Commandments, whose call is it? I dealt with that a little bit, all those bold lines there. Somebody made a call somewhere to make some combinations. But we are dealing with the second commandment that we don't chop out of the Bible. It's in there. It needs to be a commandment, and we're going to deal with it. Now, not very many of you have little idols on your, in your home or idols that you worship somewhere, but I guarantee you before we leave, you'll understand that the Lord intended for this to be more than just something that was engraved. Read it with me. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, that means engraved, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them, for I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pause for a second. Future teachers, I want somebody to dive into this concept with a little bit of depth. It's a huge concept, and I'll just leave it there. Third and fourth generation, read, of them that hate me and showing mercy unto the thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. So here's the commandment, and here's the rationale, and the punishment, and the reward. So it's not all the commandment, but that's what's happening with verses 4 and 5 here. The commandment, second commandment, don't have any other gods before me. Or, excuse me, don't have any graven image, excuse me. Now, if we back up here... Thou shalt not make anything engraved or any likeness of anything that is in the heaven above or that is in the earth beneath. There goes pictures, there goes statues, there goes carvings. We're not supposed to do it, right? Except, i, I got to stop here. Then I want you to read that. Yeah, sorry. So some people would say, man, we shouldn't have anything like that. We shouldn't have pictures on the walls. We shouldn't have little statues of, of angels because they're in the heaven above. We shouldn't have, you know, cut out the art classes. You shouldn't paint. You shouldn't carve. But we've got to look a little bit more deeply at the Bible, and the source of authority that I'm using is the Bible to look at this. God wanted graven images. Thou shalt make the robe. This is talking about the robe that the priest was going to wear. And he is, God is giving instructions to Moses, and he says, make a robe, and there shall be a hole in the top of it, and ver, this right here. And beneath upon the hem thou shalt make pomegranates of blue. This is an image of something on the earth. They were carved pomegranates that were to hang from the hem. So it's not like, no, you can never make an image, you can never carve anything that looks like something on the earth. That's not what the Bible was saying, even though that's what it literally said. We just read it. But now God is saying, I want you to put some pomegranates on there. That's something from the earth. Ah, Brother Barker, you're kind of reaching on that one. Well, let's take a look. God instructs Moses to make a brass serpent. It was something from the earth 
It was a likeness of something. God said, make it. There's no question that God said, this is what I want you to do. Numbers 21, and the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent. Fiery there means um, poisonous, venomous. And set it upon a pole. And he's not saying take a live one. He's saying make one. Set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a, made a serpent of what? He didn't put a, a dead serpent up there. He didn't put a live serpent up there. He made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole, and it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten a man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, this is from the story when the Israelites were leaving Egypt, and they complained, and God got tired of it. One of the many times that they complained, oh, those horrible Egypt's, Egypt, oh, no, no, Israelites on their trip from Egypt complaining. Can you believe godly people complaining? I remember one time I, I, was, I was studying about Samson. And I thought, Samson, you idiot, don't you see what's happening? You made that same mistake a second time. And God says, hey, bozo, you ever made a mistake a second time? Third time? I was like, ooh, ouch, sorry, God. So the Jews speak to our lives because we complain and we get worn out. And we get thirsty, and we wonder where the next meal's coming from, and all that kind of stuff. But God's response to the Jews is also instruction to us. I'm going to be there. I'm going to provide for you. I don't care if I have to make water come out of a rock. I'll do it for you. You're my people. I don't care if I have to make ravens come out of nowhere or quail come out of nowhere. I'm going to take care of you because you're my people. It wasn't just an example of God's punishment, but it was an example of God's provision. But here's an example of God saying, you know, I'm sick of it. I've given you time after time of chances. This is the Chuck Barton version. I'm going to send snakes. They're going to bite you. You're going to die. That's what happened. But then he also said, but I'm going to make a way of escape for people who will turn back to me. And he made the serpent, and when people simply looked on that stupid little carved serpent, they were healed. Now, my main point here was God instructed the Jews to make some carved things. So the second commandment isn't just don't go to art class. It's way bigger than that. God instructed cherubims to be made. Thou shalt not cherubim is... Oh, you can read a lot of different things. We typically think of it as, you know, well, <laughs> if you go into a Christian bookstore, you're going to see little pudgy angel cherubims. If you read some old stuff, I mean, they, they had wings, they looked towards each other. We really don't know what they looked like, but they were an image of something. Some people say they had four heads. Some people said that they had part man and part bull, and I don't know all that stuff. But suffice it to say, it was making an image of something. That's my point. Making an image of something that God said, I want you to do it. Thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them, and the ends of the mercy seat. Now this whole beaten work, it's, it's, it's using human talent with beautiful material that's an item of religion. But get that point. God will use human talent with something beautiful as an item of religion. 
make one cherub on the one end, one on the other, and the mercy seat in the middle. And so here we have the holiest, if I could say it this way, I think I'm right, the holiest place in all of Israel where the Shekinah power of God came down and, and the high priest only got to go in there once a year and sprinkle the blood and so on. And right next to the holiest mercy seat were these, if I could say it, graven images. So you can't say that God never, you've got to put that all in perspective. And on and on it talks about that. But the problem with us as humans is that we can take things that God said is okay and misuse them and turn them into something that displeases God. I'm getting a little ahead of myself here. I don't have this on my computer. So forgive me a little bit here for backtracking. Why should we not have an agreement? Why, why no, in, I guess it's the same thing. Why no graven images? The second commandment does not demand that we avoid painting and sculpting classes. And, and this is an important slide here. God's point was to cease the idol worship of Egypt and the surrounding countries. We understand that. That's very clear. The Jews had been in Egypt how many years? 400 years, they were, they were a part of the culture in many respects. And they had seen, you know, have you ever thought, have you ever heard, you know, if God blesses your church so much, how come there's not more Cadillacs in the parking lot? Now apply that same mentality to the slaves of, uh, of Egypt. They're worshiping the one true God. And they're not driving anything, let alone a Cadillac. You think that maybe something could have risen up in the mind of the Jews to say, you know, maybe their God's better than my God. You think that maybe they were tempted to think, maybe their God provides for them better than my God provides for me. Maybe their God blesses them more than he blesses me. You think that could have happened? Well, of course it happened. And that's one of the reasons why God was saying, hey, 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 leave all that junk behind there. So there's more to it than just, you know, the carved statue and stuff. Also, God wanted to avoid Israel's worship of the creature rather than the creator. He knew the human proclivity to worship something that you can hold in your hand. We as humans tend to do that. We tend to, to turn and put time into things that we can hold in our hand. Idol, something engraved, and so on. God knew idols represented human weakness. Now, why do you say that, Brother Barkas? I say that because we as Christians, we serve an invisible God. And serving an invisible God is more difficult, in a sense, than serving a God that is carved and that is here that I can touch and I can walk up to and I can put flowers there and I can put fruit there and I can put... Uh, incense there. I mean, it's, in a sense, it's easier to go say, yeah, there's my God. Hey, Christian, where's your God? Well, he's everywhere. Uh, okay. You worship the air. Well, no. You got my point. We as humans tend to represent idols because you can grab a hold of them. God wanted to be worshipped 
as the invisible God. Because anytime we put something in between us and God, that something between us and God diverts some of that attention. It diverts some of that worship. It diverts something that's supposed to keep on going to God. So many religions do that. It's easy to get sidetracked. i got to say a couple of these again. God wanted to avoid Israel's worship of the creature more than the creator. He knew idols represented human weakness. We have a tendency to worship what we can hold on to. And God wanted to be the invisible God. Now you could say, well, wait a second. He came down you know, as this image and that image. And so, yeah, but that wasn't his norm. I know he came as Jesus. Yes, I understand that. But at this point here, it's like, you know, I, I, want you to, I don't want you to make some statue of me. I think you got my point. Now, here we have a problem. I want you to, uh, well, I'll just identify this. In 2 Kings 18, Hezekiah, the king, is 25 years old when he began to reign. And he reigned 20 and 9 years in Jerusalem, so on. And he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that David his father did. And he removed the high places, that's places of worship. If you've ever been over in the Holy Land, uh, in that area, there's, there, and you've read about it, there's hilly places. And there's something about a hilly place, about going to the top of the hilly place, and that's the prettiest place, and the people look up there. And that's where they would put temples, and that's where they would put statues and, and groves and other things because it's kind of like maybe the same concept of many churches today have big, tall spires and big open roofs and, and open spaces or something about looking upward in God. And that concept, I think, was probably built into the worship back then where a lot of worship stuff was done on top of hills. And he removed the high places and break the images and cut down the groves of trees. That was part of worship. And he break in pieces the brazen serpent that Moses had made. For unto those days, the children of Israel did burn incense to it, to the snake. And he called it Nehushtan. The people had a name for the thing that God made that healed them from that sickness. And God made that image, that snake, for a specific purpose. It was designed by God for a specific purpose in a specific time. It wasn't designed to be an icon for Israel's history to be carried about and all that kind of stuff, because the whole snake episode was done. But the people said, ah, an icon of God, a symbol of God, something that's God-designed, and somehow in their human weakness, their attention was diverted from worshiping God to worshiping the creation of mankind that was ordered of God. It was God's design, but they perverted that. Now, now let's apply that to today here. I may be jumping ahead a little bit, but I, I, I probably need to do this because of the timing. It is possible for us to take some icons of Pentecostalism and look at them with wrong thinking. Some icons of Pentecostalism. What's that? A little bottle of oil. Is this God-ordained? 
Does God use this? Is this God? No. You know, I remember as a little kid looking up on the, I don't know if I can balance that thing. Looking up on the platform and seeing that, uh, maybe y'all can relate to this, that, that bottle of Pompeii oil. I remember that brand name, that Pompeii, kind of a cylindrical thing. You know what I'm talking about, yeah. And there was something, because like my mom didn't use that kind of oil at home. That must be some kind of holy oil. And they must buy that from some special Christian, Christian place or get it from God director. And to me, that oil represented something more than just a little bit of glass and a little bit of greasy stuff. It was some... Can anybody relate to what I'm talking about here? Now, I'm just talking about the perspective of a kid. But this type of thinking can happen in a greater scale about having another God or an engraved image, if you will, a representation of God that we confuse with God or we give our attention to or adoration to or our time to or even though it's a good thing and it's God-ordained. Most of us don't go around worshiping cars and worshiping jobs. That can be a problem, and some people say, you know, those can be gods, and I'm not sure you can make that point, but I know those things can sure distract our attention away from God. But some of the icons that we have, I mean, you can make a point about all this here. But let me keep talking. Can we worship the microphone and all that it represents? Spoken and sung talent. Yeah. Is it possible for me as a minister or a singer or a teacher or whatever that would hold a microphone? Get this. To receive some accolades that really need to go to God? Whew, God help us. Because this thing can be a brass serpent. That God says, I'll anoint your voice. But don't worship the voice. Don't worship the owner of the voice. Don't worship the preacher. Worship the word, the, the giver of the word, if I could say it that way. And I, I say these things because... It's very easy for us as Pentecostals to say, well, we don't have idols, and, and we just kind of run through that second one. Or, like we've heard probably so many times, you know, your car and your job and sports and things like that can be your God. And Yeah. Well, let's give God the worship. Straight to God. Honor the man of God in a godly way. I mean, that's appropriate. Give honor to whom honor is due. That's biblical. But there's a difference between honor and worship. It can get confused. Those lines can get blurred. I need to move along here. 
Y'all get that point? Jesus' name. Even godly things can be used, can be wrong if used the wrong way. Even godly things, the Word of God itself, can be simply the building blocks of beautiful oratory. Some people are so good at speaking, they can fake anointing. Good at speaking and good at acting. And most Pentecostals would say, whoo, the Spirit of God is here. Like, no, there's a good actor here. We can venerate the Word of God. You know, that, that leather thing there. And we're supposed to honor it because it's the Holy Bible. It's the Holy Word. And I know my word's exalted above my name. I understand that. But still, we can get confused. I made my point. The problem of an invisible God. This is the story of when, and I need to do this. I keep saying that, but I've got a lot of material here. Moses went up Mount Sinai, met with God. God gave him the Ten Commandments. They really did come from God. But he was up there way too long for the people down on the ground. And they said, you know, got a problem here. Here's some indicators of a things that can happen when we're starting to misapply things that are sort of godly. Here's some indicators that might relate that we're starting to misapply things that are sort of godly. Okay. The people went up and saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, and people gathered themselves together unto Aaron. Aaron's a religious leader, right? Ordained of God, right? Yeah, he was ordained of God. Moses couldn't speak properly for some reason, speech impediment, who knows. And Aaron was his spokesman when they went and talked to Pharaoh. He's ordained of God. And he said unto him, up, make us gods. The people said, up, make us little g-gods. Up, come on, get going, leader, make me a god. I can't see something right now. Which shall go before us as for as for this Moses, can't you just hear it in her voice? For this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we, we don't even know what is become of him. And Aaron said unto them, he should have said, shut your stupid mouths up and go get on your knees, folks. And he was a leader that lost his spine. Let me tell you, you people that are pursuing the ministry, there comes a time when you can't look at people and say, are they going to like what I'm going to say? Because if you preach that way, you are not of God. You are simply human and weak, and the devil will walk into that in a heartbeat. A godly man ordained of God without a spine becomes a tool of the devil. Not Not just ministers, but Christians as a whole. Well, this man that brought us up out of Egypt, we don't even know what's going on here. The attitude. And Aaron said unto them, break off the golden earrings. Now, where did they get the earrings? God said, now, before you leave Egypt, I want you to go ahead and get some gold from these people. This was 
you know, it was, to them, earrings wasn't bad jewelry and stuff. It was something that God said, now make sure you get jewelry and bring it with you. So it was godly stuff. That, does that point make sense to you? So he was saying, okay, we're going to use that godly stuff that God said we're going to need for something, and this, for such a time as this, and Aaron, and they're in your ears, blah, 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 and all the people break off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them into Aaron, and he received them at their hand and fashioned with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. The Ten Commandments were given in chapter 20. This is chapter 32, I believe, if I remember correctly. Might be 22. But while Moses is up there getting number two, don't have any graven images, they're down here engraving an image. God knew the likelihood of the people in their weakness to do that, and he was trying to off, he was trying to divert them, detour them from their weakness before it would happen. He knows us. He understands us. He hasn't given us the Ten Commandments. You know, it's a bunch of, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And it's kind of like, yeah, God, come on. Why don't you make it warm and fuzzy? You really should. Or why don't you turn it around, God, and make it a positive instead of all these negatives? God had a very positive purpose for these Ten Commandments. And the purpose was to help us. Stay away from areas that were dangerous. Murder's dangerous, lying's dangerous, adultery's dangerous, covetousness is dangerous, and on and on and on, let alone the religious stuff. The first four, I think it is. So they made this. I don't have time to tell this whole story here. They didn't just make a calf. I need to keep on going on because there's a few more points that I need to make here, though, and that is, okay, tomorrow's a feast to the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. It's not little g God. It's not to the calf, it's to Jehovah. So they're mixing some of what they wanted to do with what they knew was right from before. Danger, danger, dee, 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 don't go here. Don't mix the stuff. And they brought burnt offerings. Is that, is that familiar? Yeah. Peace offerings. Familiar? Yeah, that's God stuff. And they sat down to, uh, to eat and drink and rose up to play. That's not the God stuff. They weren't playing dominoes. They're running around naked. And the Lord said unto Moses, Get thee down, go get thee down for thy people, for I love it, thy people, which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. And so on. I don't have time to stay with that. But here's a few indicators that I need to point out. Some of you may be taking notes. If God's timing is starting to bug you, be careful. Because God knew when Moses was supposed to come down. Timing can divert people. That delay of getting the direction, the law. They used godly items, but in a wrong way. Using the microphone the wrong way, the oil the wrong way, the Bible the wrong way, and so on. <laughs> they misapplied this as being for God. So on and so forth. Let me keep running ahead here. What distracts you from God? What are things that, we don't make them gods, but maybe they're not bad. We talked about last week, I don't have time to get into this here. Money, I summarized all these things. Money, relationship, internet, entertainment, self-issues, talent. None of these have to be wrong. 
necessarily. Now, there may be some uh, internet stuff that's just flat wrong. And of course, anything, well, all of it can be good stuff. You understand that point. When it's misapplied is when it starts to become a problem. <clears throat> they were diverted from worship. I've made that point. <coughs> Hang on with me for a few more. For, I don't have enough to do a second week, and I'm going to finish this up, though. But don't check out now, please. Okay. Romans 3. <clears throat> I'm going to jump. That's the King James. I have another translation, forgive me, the New Living Translation. Brother Kill me, plug, Kilman, plug yours if you need to. Just trying to make it a little bit easier here. <laughs> Obviously, this law applies to whom it was given, for it is, for its purpose is to keep people from having excuses. This is Romans 3. And to show that the entire world is guilty before God. The, the purpose of the law was to point out to people, you can't make it on your own. You're not good enough on your own. Verse 20, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. They could never be saved with the law. The law simply shows us how sinful we are. So if somebody says, what's with the Ten Commandments? It's to point out our human frailty. And 22, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Not on those other things. Everyone has sinned. We know the scripture. For God presented Jesus as a sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life Shedding his blood, the sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he, get this, when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. They just, God just kept pushing forward the sins of the Old Testament. That was his grace being applied even during the time of the law. So it wasn't unfair to them, but the law was a schoolmaster to lead us to Christ. I went to a Catholic website, and they said, we don't worship idols. We didn't take out the second commandment because we're afraid of that. I went to an official Catholic website. We don't worship idols. No, they, may be, they, they remind us of things, and part of their comeback was, well, you Christians, you have manger scenes. But what's the relationship? Is, an, is it an object lesson or an object of worship? Big difference there. An object of adoration or a reminder? Yeah, here's a picture of a little kid. He's outside the pool. Mom, I want to go swimming. They put, you can't see it very well. They put up a fence around their pool so little Johnny won't drown. So are they keeping him out or keeping him in? They're keeping him in the safe zone. You can look at the ten, did you get that point? Let it sink in. They're keeping him in the safe zone. That's what the Ten Commandments are designed to do. To keep us out of danger and away from and in the safe zone. The commandments, are they harsh or loving? They can seem harsh, especially when you don't want to hear them. But they're loving because they came from a loving God. Lord, we thank you for your word. We ask God that we can apply this lesson today in our lives, in our church, in our worship with you. Help us, Lord, not to let anything come in, way, in the way of worshiping you. Help us, Lord, not to be distracted in our busyness from a devotional walk with you. Help us, Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say amen. 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 Forgive me for rushing so much. God bless you. It's good stuff.